Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Our Old Testament reading today comes from the book of Jeremiah. We'll be reading from chapter 20, verses 7 through 18. O Lord, you have enticed me, and I was enticed. You have overpowered me, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I must cry out. I must shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, then within me, There is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, Terror is all around. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. All my close friends are watching for me to stumble. Perhaps he can be enticed, and we can prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble, and they will not prevail. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, you test the righteous. You see the heart and the mind. Let me see your retribution upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of the evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, A child is born to you, a son, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come forth from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading for this morning comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 11. I'll actually be starting at verse 32 through 44. Let us listen for the word of God. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone, and Jesus, looking upward, said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Believe it or not, there are times when I cry. No matter how hard I try, there are moments, occasions, memories, and stories that bring me to tears. Sometimes there is nothing I can do to prevent the emotions from welling up inside of me and forcing my eyes to begin to water and for tears to come out. There are various triggers for this deep-seated emotional response of crying, and they are not always predictable, but sometimes they are. No matter how many times I have seen Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life, by the end of the movie, I am always choked up, feeling it in my throat, and my gut changes as my breathing does, and I try to subtly wipe the tears from my eyes, hoping that no one notices. I had a similar feeling during my wedding as I tried to compose myself during the first hymn. And recently, I tried to choke back tears watching the Pixar film Coco. I also, however, have the distinctive memory of crying at my uncle's funeral. It was inevitable. The emotions and the physical embodied response that accompany those feelings, those tears were inescapable. I was in middle school at the time, and it was my first memory of truly knowing what it meant to mourn and to feel grief. This feeling of grief, that is the emotional backdrop to the scene that Jesus enters into during the story we hear read from the gospel according to John. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, has died. Everyone had hoped that Jesus would show up earlier. They even sent word to Jesus telling him that Lazarus had fallen ill. And maybe, just maybe, if Jesus had been around, Jesus could have healed Lazarus like Jesus had recently restored sight to a man who was blind. Maybe, if Jesus had been around, Lazarus would still be alive. Unfortunately, Jesus arrived four days after Lazarus was placed in the tomb. And so, he went, when, so when he arrives, it is more than understandable and perfectly reasonable to suspect that Martha and Mary are still in the midst and fresh and raw grief as they mourn the loss of their brother. And Jesus arrives and enters into this moment knowing that he will find death but also knowing at the same time that he will provide life. He has already told the disciples by this point in the story, and Martha as well, that he is planning on raising Lazarus from the dead. Yet, after hearing Mary weep, Jesus does not say, do not cry, 
I'm going to raise him, or hey, it will be okay, I'm going to give Lazarus new life, or hey, don't cry, this was God's plan. No, what Jesus does is Jesus begins to weep. His spirit is moved, and there is something inside him that disturbs him, and it moves him. His emotions bring him to tears. John chapter 11, verse 35. This is your trivia nugget for the day. In the NRSV, it is translated as Jesus began to wept, but it is commonly, Jesus began to weep. It is commonly translated in English as Jesus wept. And it's often cited and is the answer to the question, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? It is a simple sentence, and it is a complete sentence, actually. Jesus wept. In all of its simplicity, it is still so profound. Jesus wept. Jesus entered into grief with and alongside Mary and Martha. Jesus mourns for his friend, Lazarus. His emotions literally bring him to tears, and I imagine that there was a physical response. We get a picture of how Jesus felt moved by this deep emotion. And I tend to wonder, what did Jesus look like when he wept? Did he wipe tears from the corners of his eyes? Did his breathing change? Did his throat tighten up, making it hard to speak? We will probably never know, but what we do know is that something inside of Jesus, a deep feeling, has disturbed his spirit, and he has moved first to tears first to tears, and then he is moved to action in this deeply emotional time. Jesus weeps with Mary and Martha as they mourn and lament the loss of their brother. I also think that Jesus weeps and mourns and laments with others in our world, with children who cry out for their parents, with communities that are ravaged by disasters, and with all in our world who suffer from trauma and turmoil. Here's one of the radical things about Christianity. It's that we believe that God truly did live among us. The first chapter of the Gospel according to John refers to Jesus as the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus the Word, lived as a human being who cried and who wept and who mourned and who had feelings. He mourned the death of Lazarus, and he also can experience these deep feelings for all of the hurt and brokenness that is in our world. He cried personally, and he cries communally. So when we look back at our first scripture reading from this morning, we also find a deeply emotional lament from the prophet Jeremiah. The passage that Jeff read for us from the book of Jeremiah is just one of several laments in the book. Jeremiah was called as a prophet by God to speak to the leaders of the nations, to pronounce hard truths and to reorient people from their own ways back towards the ways of God's. 
Jeremiah wrote in years of war, invasions, exile, and overall chaos. Biblical scholar Kathleen O'Connor wrote, the book of Jeremiah is about trauma, disaster, and survival. Its themes echo and contradict one another to create a poignant symphony of tragedy and hope. There is both tragedy and hope, both for the larger community, but also for Jeremiah personally as well. In this lament, in the face of persecution and hardship, Jeremiah speaks about his calling to be a prophet, the calling that God has told him to preach to the people and to the powers that be, even in the midst of trauma and turmoil and despair, even in the midst of his own deep and truly dark lament, he describes his calling. He still praises God, and he describes his calling saying it is like a burning fire shut up in his bones. He has a burning desire that is so intense and it is so meaningful that even as he is being mocked and made fun of for his beliefs, even as he is being persecuted by the people he calls his friends, Jeremiah both continues to praise God and to trust in God, even when he is crying out in the deepest and darkest moments of lament. Because Jeremiah knows that the basis of his calling, the validity of his complaints, the validity of his complaints and of his lament comes from God's nature and who God is, because God is the one who forms us. God is the one who gives us life. So even when Jeremiah notices death and persecution, hardship and trauma, he continues to hold on to hope, even if at times his words seem to be hopeless. Jeremiah continues his prophetic activity nonetheless. In our summer book read, The Book of Joy, the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop Desmond Tutu discuss joy, and they are asked the question that is certainly on the hearts of many people in this world. As one fan wrote in, the world is in such turmoil, war, starvation, terrorism, pollution, genocide. My heart hurts for these issues. How do I find joy in the midst of such large world problems? There is no easy answer to these questions, but they both acknowledge that there is tragedy, but they also recognize that life is a gift. Life is a gift of grace and a blessing, and it is a choice of what we do with that life that is important. The Dalai Lama challenges us Every day, think as you wake up, I am fortunate to be alive. I have precious human life. I am not going to waste it. Now, I might rephrase that challenge. Every day, think as you wake up, God created me. God loves me. God gives me life. I am grateful, and I will use the gift of life that God gave me so we can find joy when we turn our hearts towards gratitude for God's gift of love 
and for the grace that God offers us, even knowing that it is sometimes and probably more often than not very hard to do. Sometimes the despair and death of the world feels like it is just too much. Desmond Tutu summed up what allowed people to keep striving forward even in the midst of their despair, even when the turmoil seemed too much. As he described how the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa kept working in the wake of political assassinations and violence, and specifically the political assassination of his friend and his brother in Christ and his fellow anti-apartheid worker, Chris Hani, Desmond Tutu said, what made people want to keep, want to go on going on, holding on by the skin of their teeth, was not optimism, but hope. Dogged, inextinguishable hope. Inextinguishable hope. Like the inextinguishable fire that burns and is shut up in Jeremiah's bones. Inextinguishable hope is what drove Desmond Tutu and others to work to dismantle the systemic racism of apartheid in South Africa, even in the face of violence and hatred and racism. It was an inextinguishable fire in his bones that continued to drive Jeremiah to prophesy, even in the face of persecution and mockery from his friends. Hope and desire and fire, deep-seated emotions that have dwelt in prophets both ancient and recent and contemporary, that drive prophetic activity that continues to change and shape our world. Deep emotional feelings that well up inside of us like tears and call us to work for a better world. And it was this hope, and it was this hope in the resurrection that caused Jesus to command the stone to be rolled away from the tomb, and for Jesus to call Lazarus, come out. It is this hope in which we are called, the hope that even in the face of death, God can provide life. It is an inextinguishable hope that says that even in turmoil, there are opportunities for blessings and for grace to be known. Even in mourning, there can be hope. And even in despair, there are chances for joy. Not because we dismiss the reality of grief or despair or turmoil in our world, but because we place our hope in something greater. We place our hope and our gratitude in the God who grants us life and the God who longs for justice. And we have hope that the prophets in this world, both ancient and recent, and especially hope that the prophets who are contemporary continue to hope for and to work for a better world. Prophets and saints who continually provide blessings, who continually offer grace, and joy in a world in need. Prophets who are inspired by emotions of deep grief, who hear the cries of those who have lost their brothers or their uncles 
or their mothers or their daughters, prophets who see despair and death and are filled with an inextinguishable fire in their bones to work for change, even acknowledging the deep sorrow. Prophets who hear weeping in the world and respond first with tears, like Jesus did, alongside the world, but then who are moved and are called and inspired to do what they can, where they can, to make the world a better place. Douglas Abrams, who worked with the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu on the Book of Joy, wrote that the archbishops and the Dalai Lama's conviction that we would have a different world eventually was striking. Both of these spiritual leaders have a hope that the world can and will be a better place, even if the progress may be slow at times. So we can take the Dalai Lama's advice to not waste our lives, but to use that blessing, that gift of grace of life, to work in the ways that we can, paying attention and hearing the weeping and wailing, the laments of this world, paying attention to our own embodied responses, the fire in our bones, the things that move us to tears, so that we can change those things to which we cannot accept, to bring hope and happiness, to bring life and love, and to bring joy. As a few of my colleagues and I were discussing our summer book reads and themes for this summer, we were reminded when we got to this chapter of the prayer commonly called the Prayer of St. Francis. It is in this prayer that we hear us asking for God to use us to make the world a better place where we are and how we can. It gives thanks to God for our life, and it seeks to change the world. Let us close our time with this prayer. Here is the earliest published version known. Let us pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where is there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Master, let me seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives. It is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one is pardoned. It is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. May it be so. Amen. So gracious God, it is with gratitude, praise, and our hearts lifted high that we come to your table, calling to mind your Son who walked among us, who ate with the sinners and the tax collectors, who ate with women just the same as he ate with the Pharisees and disciples and neighbors. God, as he reached out to touch the sick, to heal those who were broken and yet dead, may we reach out with healing hands 
as he went to the bad neighborhoods, as he visited the homes of those who were poor, as he visited those who had no place. May we go to those places where people long for good news. As he spread health and holiness with every step, every word, every breath, may we live as his grace is contagious, sharing your love with people near and far, those we would meet and those we would rather avoid. And as we meet at the feast of your family, O God, we carry with us the knowledge of all those who hunger and thirst, those who can cannot imagine the abundance of this table, who feel excluded or forgotten, who live with fear or violence, who wait for justice, who long for peace, who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. And so we celebrate this day. Some in your family see no cause for celebration. While we have feasted on your good word, some see reading as impossibility. While we have learned and spoken and prayed together, Others have been silenced and held aside. While we break bread together, break our hearts, O God, and then by your Spirit bind us together with your people that we may seek your purpose and work your will for justice and mercy in the world. O God, give us a glimpse of your kingdom where the whole family comes together around the table and strengthen us with courage that we might build your kingdom here on earth. So we offer our hearts and lives to you, O God, and as we gather, we ask your blessings would be upon this bread and this cup, that the bread we break and the cup that we bless might be signs of your inbreaking into the world, and that you might, through these ordinary means of grace, bread and cup, pour out your spirit upon the world and be with us as you have said. So hear us now, O God, as we pray together in one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.